MSW Media. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Monday, June 27th, 2022. Today, the Supreme Court has officially overturned Roe. Kelly Ward and her husband have been subpoenaed by the Department of Justice. Ali Alexander has testified before a federal grand jury. The Oath Keepers defense lawyers are ordered by a federal judge to reveal whether Sidney Powell is bankrolling them. The Secretary of Defense says in a statement that he will look at policy that ensures seamless access to abortion care. And Governor Brian Kemp is set to testify before the grand jury in Georgia as part of the criminal investigation into Donald Trump's attempted coup. I'm Allison Gill. And I'm Dana Goldberg. Hello, my friend. Hello, my friend. Um, I'm sending you, this is the first time we've seen each other since uh, Friday when I say see each other. I mean, over Zoom, so I'm sending you a huge, massive hug. And I love you. And I'm hugging everyone listening out there. Um, Back at you and back at everyone else. Um, It's been a very very difficult weekend. And not just for women, but not just for people who can get pregnant, not just for the men who support them or the people who support them, but for the future rights of others that are now at risk. And we'll get into that as we get into the hot notes. And we do have good news at the end of this show. We're going to need it. And so if you have anything you want to send in to us for good news, please do at dailybeanspod.com. Click on contact. I'd love to know about what you're doing or what you're not doing, or, you know, how your self-care is going, what your happy place is like. Do you have one right now? I would love to talk to everyone about that. And uh, there is other news going on, too, that we will get to. We can't ignore. But obviously, this is the big news, and uh, we will discuss it here uh, shortly. We do not have an interview today, although tomorrow we will be joined by Liz Winstead of Abortion Access Force and host of Buzzkill Feminists to discuss these events and how we move forward and how we move forward together. So thank you. Thank you, Dana. And um, I am hugging you back. Thank you very much. I feel it. All right, everybody. Let's hit the hot notes. Hot notes. All right. The Supreme Court overturned Roe v. Wade on Friday, holding that there is no longer a federal constitutional right to an abortion. The opinion is the most consequential Supreme Court decision in decades, and it will transform the landscape of reproductive health in America. Going forward, abortion rights will be determined by states unless Congress acts. And even if Congress does act, that could be overturned by this court. Already, nearly half of the states have or will pass laws that ban abortion, while others have enacted strict measures regulating the procedure. We did see this coming, uh, though I was surprised they kept the arcane and inhumane language of the Alito draft, but also not surprised. I mean, I think it was no doubt leaked by right-wing fascists to secure the Alito decision and that that would be the final decision. But although we saw it coming, as I said weeks ago, nothing could have prepared us for the reality of the ultimate decision. And here we are. The vote was 5-4 in favor of overturning Roe and a joint dissenting opinion. Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan heavily criticized the majority, closing, quote, with sorrow for this court, but more for the many millions of American women who have today lost a fundamental constitutional protection, we dissent. The opinion represents the culmination of decades-long effort on the part of critics of abortion seeking to return more power to the states. 
It was made possible by a solid six-member conservative majority, including three Donald Trump nominees. And those who say this decision is a distraction from the coup, I'm here to tell you that it's part of the coup, which will continue. At least 21 states have laws or constitutional amendments already in place that would make them certain to attempt to ban abortion as quickly as possible, which favors abortion rights. That's the Guttmacher Institute saying that, and they favor abortion rights. And an additional four states are likely to ban abortions as soon as possible without federal protections. Chief Justice John Roberts did not join the majority, writing in a concurring opinion that he would not have overturned Roe, but instead would have only upheld Mississippi's law banning abortions after 15 weeks, which, let's face it, is overturning Roe. Absolutely. Also, the press secretary's statement about Biden being against expanding the court and against ending the filibuster was taken out of context this weekend. Judd Legum said that the Valerio tweet from CNN, she's from CNN, mischaracterized the press secretary's comments after he read the entire transcript of the press conference. And Valerio has since deleted those tweets. The press secretary was asked, Let's say he got two more Democrats in the Senate who would be okay with killing the filibuster on this issue, so he had 50. Would he then support this stance? The press secretary responded by saying, if enough Democrats are elected, quote, I don't think the filibuster would play a role, which is a truism. She doesn't comment on whether Biden would support eliminating the filibuster, and he has been against it in the past, the filibuster, that is. She dodged the question, so there was no cold water thrown, technically. And with regards to expanding the court, The press secretary says that's something he doesn't want to do, not something he wouldn't do. She also said, quote, I don't have more to share about any final decision the president has made. And yes, we should elect more Dems and kill the filibuster and codify Roe. But codifying Roe would likely be overturned by this Supreme Court. So the court does need to be expanded and it can only be expanded by electing more Dems and pushing for court expansion. The answer is absolutely not refusing to vote. (laughs) that's not the answer. Whatever we decide, the answer is. And a side note, Dana, after I wrote my op-ed in the Washington Post, calling on the Secretary of Defense to create policy ensuring active duty service members have access to abortion care, Lloyd Austin released the following statement. He said, nothing is more important to me or this department as the health and well-being of our service members, the civilian workforce, and DOD families. I'm committed to taking care of our people and ensuring the readiness and resilience of our force. The department is examining this decision closely and evaluating our policies to ensure we continue to provide seamless access to reproductive health care as permitted by federal law, which is exactly what I asked him to do. Whether or not my op-ed had a direct impact on that, I don't know, but I'm glad it was out there. Absolutely. And Dana, Justice Thomas said in his concurrence that they're coming after Lawrence, Obergefell and Griswold next. That's same-sex sex, sex, same-sex marriage, and contraception. So anyone saying the court won't come after these rights is simply incorrect. They've said it by name. Absolutely. Thomas, I had some very choice words for Thomas after this came out. And it's, you know, not surprising, but I think we should take note that loving was not mentioned in these cases that we should reconsider and revisit, which, of course, it's okay for him, but not for others. And loving was only set six years before Roe. Loving was in 67, Roe was in 73. It's not like it's been precedent for a long time. So he is a son of a bitch. I mean, I don't know what else to say. I have very choice words for that person. He shouldn't even be on the court at this point with Jenny Thomas trying to over... I just can't. I can't. I know. Very angry about all of it. I know. And I do want to bring up an important point. And I've talked to some legal experts about this. This isn't just my opinion, my non-legal law school opinion. But prosecuting 
these Supreme Court justices for lying during their confirmation hearings is going to be a very heavy lift. I don't think it's something that's feasible because they were sharing their opinions, quote unquote. Now, please don't mistake me for agreeing with any of them right. or defending defending them. They lied to our fucking faces. But there's a difference between lying to your fucking face and proving it in a court of law, unfortunately. Uh, but that is the way of it. And they can just say, well, we simply changed our minds. We did believe that at the time. Exactly. And there's a very big difference between I believe it's settled law and saying I will not unsettle it. Exactly. Yeah, they can they can say, hey, it's the law of the land. They didn't say I won't overturn it. Absolutely. So I agree with you. All of it's infuriating. It is. But taking a a hard left on this one or a hard right, depending on how you look at it, we're going down to Georgia. (laughs) Now, Governor Brian Kemp will deliver testimony next month to Fulton County prosecutors investigating Donald Trump's effort to overturn Georgia's 2020 elections. But unlike the parade of witnesses who have appeared at the Fulton courthouse to answer questions in front of a special grand jury, the Republican will instead deliver a, quote, sworn recorded statement. And that's according to a letter from the Fulton County District Attorney's Office dated Wednesday and obtained by the AJC on Thursday. Now, in the letter, Kemp's attorney, Nathan Wade, a special prosecutor hired by Fulton County District Attorney Fannie Willis, to help with the investigation, said the DA's office agreed to the terms, quote, in a spirit of cooperation with the governor and his schedule. So Kemp's sworn examination will take place on July 25th. Again, this is a sworn examination. If he lies, he is still breaking his uh, oath in, in the in the sense if he lies in this sworn statement. It's still it's still illegal to lie. Yeah. Yeah. These. Yeah. So the 23 member special grand jury, they also subpoenaed a bevy of evidence from Kemp's office which Wade said must be made available at least 72 hours before the governor's scheduled testimony. So this way they'll have the evidence so they'll know if Kemp's lying. Now, among the requested documents is anything that, quote, represents, explains, and provides context about the November 2020 elections and the 60 days after the certification of Georgia's presidential electors on January 6th and the rally held at the Capitol that day. Jurors are also seeking any documents that shed light on what then-President Trump and his associates were thinking and doing as they sought to reverse Democrat Joe Biden's narrow win in Georgia, including telephone logs, emails, texts, and other correspondence. And I have a feeling Lindsey Graham's name is going to come up in this shit, and I'm so glad it will. And this is a quote. The attached subpoena has as its primary purpose the examination of the conduct of former President Donald Trump and those working on his behalf. That's what Wade wrote in this letter, went on to say. Also, the district attorney's primary interest is to discover what witnesses and documents are available that will explain what was being said and done regarding the 2020 presidential election and the efforts to replace the constitutionally elected electors. Mm-hmm. So they are going they're going in on this. And I'm glad that they're doing that. I like that this is happening, too, because if Kemp perjures himself, obviously, he's in a lot of trouble anyway. And I'd love to see him go down before the gubernatorial race in 2022, <laughs> because I'd love Stacey Abrams to just walk into the fucking office. But I do. It'll be interesting to see what he says in this, because if he puts himself in a bad light or, let's say, goes against Trump in any way, it may actually hurt him with the base. And so either way, I hope he takes himself out on this. Yeah. Although his recorded testimony, recorded statement is grand jury material and won't be released to the public. Got it. And also, it's of note, this is this is taking place July 25th. So all of those incorrect stories saying that Fonnie Willis would make a charging decision by June 30th were incorrect, as I predicted. Some news outlet 
I think it was Yahoo, said the Associated Press was told by Fonnie Willis a couple weeks ago she'd be done by June 30th, make a charging decision about Trump by June 30th. But that's actually what she said back in January. And then she amended that to be by the end of the year. So this shows that her charging decision is not going to be made by the end of this month. So I just want to put that out there. And Arizona Republican Party chair Kelly Ward and her hubs, Mike Ward, were both subpoenaed Friday as part of the federal investigation into fraudulent slates of electors. Uh, The investigative move is just the latest sign of the widening probe that stemmed from the January 6th insurrection. Federal investigators are pursuing information in all seven battleground states that former Trump lost and where his campaign convened fake electors. And that's according to a person briefed on the matter. The fraudulent certificates were sent to the National Archives in the weeks after the election and had no impact on the electoral outcome. Both of the wards acted as so-called alternate, quote, quote, like slash fraudulent electors in Arizona. The source also confirmed that two others involved in the effort, Nancy Cottle and Lorraine Pellegrino, also received subpoenas. Alexander Coladin, an attorney for the wards, told CNN, this is an investigation based on allegations that our clients engaged in core First Amendment protected activity, specifically petitioning Congress for redress of grievances. Yeah, but like if you go up and shoot your congressperson, that's not protected by your First Amendment right to redress grievances with Congress. You can't break the law. I'd also like to point out that that's not protected by your Second Amendment rights either. No, it's not protected by any rights. Yeah. Earlier this week, investigators subpoenaed Georgia Republican Party Chairman David Schaefer for information related to the fraudulent elector scheme. The focus on Schaefer came, as sources told CNN, the Justice Department subpoenaed Trump electors this week in Georgia, Michigan and Pennsylvania. And Ali Alexander, the leader of Stop the Steal, who helped organize rallies before the Capitol attack, testified to a federal grand jury, a DOJ, a Garland grand jury, on Friday in the Justice Department's investigation. CNN spotted Ali Alexander entering and exiting the federal courthouse in D.C., where a federal grand jury that has heard January 6th related matters meets. He spent about four hours at the courthouse on Friday behind closed doors. He acknowledged his testimony in a social media post on Friday. Today, a D.C. grand jury brought me in under subpoena and the threat of imprisonment. I told them I committed no crimes and observed no one committing any crimes during the 2020 election and January 6th. That's what he wrote on Truth Social. Sure, Ali. Ali Alexander is the first known high-profile witness to testify in the confidential criminal investigative proceedings related to rally organizing. In April, he publicly confirmed he had received a subpoena and would cooperate with federal authorities. He previously handed over thousands of communications and testified behind closed doors to the House Select Committee as well. He's one of the few individuals who has said he has ties to influential right-wing figures close to the former guy, members of Congress and extremist groups. He remember he put out that video, me and Biggs and Gosar, we we set this whole thing up. I think dude will cooperate. I think he already is. So put some beans on it. I think you're absolutely right. I'm I'm going to take that bet. So a federal judge on Friday ordered defense attorneys for alleged members of the Oath Keepers charged with seditious conspiracy to disclose whether their legal fees are being paid by anyone other than their clients. After prosecutors warned of potential conflicts of interest if former President Donald Trump's attorney, Sidney Powell, is helping raise money for some of the legal defense as it's been reported. Now, the decision by U.S. District Judge Amit Mehta of Washington came during a week of rapid developments in the Justice Department's investigation of January 6th. The attack on the U.S. Capitol, which appears to have expanded into broader alleged efforts to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election. Now, Wednesday, federal agents conducted a search at the home of former Justice Department Jeffrey Clark, who played a key role in Trump's efforts to get law enforcement officials to challenge Joe Biden's election victory. 
Now, that same day, agents delivered subpoenas and took other investigative steps probing efforts by Trump, Clark, and supporters to undo Biden's victories in a half a dozen key states by creating bogus slates of alternate electors in Georgia, Michigan, Arizona, and elsewhere. We've covered this in depth. In the Oath Keepers criminal case, the Justice Department asked the court this week to probe possible financial relationships between attorneys for defendants accused of trying to prevent Joe Biden from becoming president and a nonprofit entity run by who? Powell. We just covered this story a couple episodes ago. Who is that Trump's representatives spread false election claims and filed a series of failed lawsuits to overturn the election results, which they lost all of except one, and that wasn't even a win. Prosecutors expressed concern that support from Powell's group could give Oath Keepers attorneys a reason to oppose clients' cooperation that could be damaging to Trump's interest or to make plea deals less likely, which could be against the interest of a particular defendant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The government asked Meta to ensure that there was no outside, quote, interference with the lawyer's independence or with client-lawyer relationships. So Meta agreed on Friday, directing attorneys for the Oath Keepers leader, Stuart Rhodes, and eight co-defendants after hearing to turn over any third-party funding agreements for his private review. Meta said that he would hold closed-door sessions with them, with their clients, to ensure the latter understood potential pitfalls if their interests diverged from their attorney's funders. Now, the judge said he was taking the, the precaution, quote, to ensure everybody is receiving appropriate advice and appropriate disclosures are being made. And the record reflects that potential conflicts arising now or in the future are being waived knowingly and voluntarily. Mm-hmm. That's very important because if Sidney Powell is paying for the Oath Keepers lawyers and the Oath Keepers lawyers are telling them not to cooperate, that is not necessarily in the best interest of their clients and is considered a conflict of interest. And Judge Mehta knows it, so he's going to look into it. So I'm very happy about that. Also very interesting that the Justice Department went out of their way to say, you know, because the Daily Beast was reporting that Sidney Powell might be paying for these lawyers and that, right, you know, uh, they, but you have to remember the Department of Justice has been investigating Sidney Powell's PAC since last September. They know, they know that Sidney Powell is paying for these lawyers. And so they're like, exactly. Can, can you look into this? Now, I mean, they haven't said that, right? Because that would reveal that, you know, that an investigation that they can't talk about, even though we know about it. So they're not dummies. It's a good way to see if these clients are lying under oath. That's for sure. Yes. And then those lawyers would be sanctioned to fuck. If they said, oh, we're not taking any money from Sidney Powell when the Department of Justice could prove otherwise. All right. Yeah. We'll be right back with the much needed good news. Stay with us. Everybody, welcome back. It's time for the good news. Who likes good news, everyone? Then good news, everyone. Good news, good news. And we are in need of everyone's good news stories. Uh, It is urgent. We need them all. Please send them to us at dailybeanspod.com and click on contact. I'm going to kick us off. Okay, G, I do have one thing to say. Yes. Cats in diapers. That's it. Cats in diapers. Keep going. Okay. Okay. You'll see. Oh, we're dogs. Oh, you'll see. Oh. Oh, I'll see. Oh, sweet. Okay. Dan in New York City. I've been listening to your podcast since early on. I'm both impressed and proud of you. Good news. I've been tasked with leading a regular series of meetings. I have a tendency to speak fast and in monotone, but decided early on I wanted these meetings to have a lively and unique character. 
On reflecting on it, I realized that your style of saying hello and welcome to the Daily Beans at your introduction of regular segments such as Let's Hit the Hot Notes provided some best practices I could emulate. Nice. The meetings have been going great and I'm developing great skills through them. Maybe one day I'll have my own podcast. Hell yeah, Dan. I love that, Dan. Nice. Thank you. All right. Look at this one. This is from Lola Gale. Oh, I love Grayskull. I know. Pronouns they, them. I know it sounds silly as fuck, but who cares? Tall man and I were washing a rug outside and I had a romp through the hose. I love that. As horrible as things have been in the past few years, and as busy as our minds have been, us adults must remember to take time to play a little. I'm drenched yet happy. As pet tax give you a little very judgmental gray skull. Look at that man cat face. I know that is a man cat face. And you should run for the fucking sprinklers and a hose every chance you get, people. Agreed. Agreed. Next up from Susie, pronouns she and her. Hello, sweet AG and DG. Susie here. The good news is your podcast brings truth to our daily lives. Thank goodness. By the way, I adore you both. I'm sick with the Supreme Court rulings from gun laws to Miranda warnings. My goodness, who are we as a country? The January 6th hearings are eye-opening. I pray many Americans will tune in and hear and see the truth. No matter what happens in this country, I'll continue to fight for our rights, get out and vote, help others get to the polls, serve others, and try to make a difference in this world. As a retired gay teacher, wife, and grandmother, I must be an example so my former kids, students is too formal, daughters and grandsons see that one must fight for change and not just hope others will act. We can be the change we want to see in this world. Your podcast is definitely the change we need. Thank you for all you do. And I love your laughter and commentary. AG and DG, you are my heroes and inspire me to be and do better. Keep shining. Know that you're loved. And pictures are of our sweet boy, Francis, and our sweet cat, Samantha Kay. Oh, goodness. Oh. Thank you for that so much. Yes, thank you. I'm sorry. Are those cat calls? What's the cat doing with the phone? I mean, come on. Someone had to say. <laughs> oh, my God. Top hat. There's a top hat. There is. There's a dog in a, in a top hat. There's a dog in a top hat. We got kittens and diapers and dogs in top hat. Next, we have from Kevin. Kevin P. Pronounce he him. Dear Beans Queens, thanks for your podcast. I started listening in a friend's recommendation when I was griping with swearing, about the slowness of the cases against Trump. My confession is that I still gripe, but now it's better informed griping. <laughs> that's all I can ask for, right? <laughs> that's, all, that's our goal is just so people have better informed griping. We're still going to gripe. Yeah. yeah. Hell yeah. Can I ask a favor? Please do not refer to Supreme Court members as justices. Yes, it's their title, but it makes Orwell spin in his grave when it happens. They're imposing a political agenda, not justice. You do justice so you can be justices AG and DG, but not them. I would love to be justice DG. <laughs> Although I feel like a DJ now. Justice DG. Okay. <laughs> here are your basset. Here are our, here are your, I just inherited their basset hounds. Here are our basset hounds as pod pet tax. They never hesitate to use guilt to get their walk early. I oh think basset hounds are always like like throwing guilt onto people with those eyes. Just like, <laughs> look at the what one do in you the mean? background. I know. <laughs> Oh, amazing. Good point. Thank you for that, Kevin. I appreciate it. From Ashley, pronouns she and her. Hi, AG and DG. My name is Ashley, and I run a nonprofit kitten rescue called Biscuits and Breadsticks in New York that works primarily with neonates and special needs kittens. We wanted to share one of our adoptable boys, not Polly, who we affectionately call Pops because, well, have you ever seen Jiffy Pop? Uh, he has a condition <laughs> called Mank syndrome that causes him to hop like a bunny and also left him incontinent. 
He's snuggly, aspiring adventure cat. He comes with a snazzy wardrobe and his care only takes a few minutes, a couple times a day. We know that someone will see his adorable bobbed tail booty and fall in love with him as we have. We get requests daily from all over the country to take in cats like Pops. <laughs> and if we can find his forever family, we also got to say yes to another baby in need. Angie, <laughs> look at the first picture. <laughs> I mean, the cats with diapers are the funniest thing I've seen in a long time. Look at the last picture. <laughs> oh, my God. That's so adorable. Oh, my God. I can totally... I can't imagine... I mean, I'm sure this cat's used to it by now, but I feel like putting a diaper on a cat would be like trying to bathe a cat. Like, yeah, I can't imagine the cat's just like, here's my legs. Yeah. <laughs> Look at this sweet baby. Oh, Aww. my God. Thank you for this. Truly. All right, we're going to Rob in New England, pronouncing him. Hello, Beans team, and my apologies for this tiny bit of subterfuge. I'm contacting the Beans podcast in order to compliment AG for cleanup on aisle 45. Already, I was a devotee of that podcast, but this moment from last week's episode, number 75, sealed the deal. Co-host Andrew Torres finished up his final thoughts with a nod to the perils of recording a podcast well before its release date, saying, quote, I, like the rest of our audience, will be patiently waiting for tomorrow's January 6th committee hearing. Yesterday's hearing. AG replied, tomorrow is yesterday. Isn't that a Star Trek episode? Andrew chuckled and said, it is indeed. And then in a rare moment of crosstalk, beneath AG's rhetorical push toward the end of the episode, Andrew noted, quote, DC Fontana, I think. So, okay. I can't believe that A.G. is that well-versed in 1960s Trek. But after Andrew slung out the name of Trek's episode writer without needing to look it up, <laughs> I woke up sometime later in a pool of Romulan ale mixed with, <laughs> mixed with Tranya, still basking in the glow, still not sure it wasn't some holodeck hallucination. Bravo as always. It was not, Rob. Tomorrow is yesterday, written by D.C. Fontana. And of course, Andrew and I just both know that kind of weird ass shit off the top of our heads. I am very well versed in 1960s Trek. It is to me still the best Trek of all the Treks. Although, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of good ones. And Tomorrow's Yesterday is a really great episode. My favorite is The City on the Edge of Forever, which also has to do with time travel. But and that featured Joan Collins. Oh, it's just such a good episode. But um, yeah, Tomorrow's Yesterday because we record the day before because tomorrow becomes yesterday when the when the episode comes out. So I'm glad you picked up on that. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this weird little crosstalk that Andrew and I have is it's interesting. Thank you for all of these submissions, all of the pets. We need all the pets. Send all of the pets. If you don't have a pet, send an adoptable pet in your area. We just need them. We really need them. And we're going to continue to need them. So thank you. So, so good. So, so good. Dina, do you have any final thoughts? I do. I just have a little bit of good news. I have been released from solitary confinement into Gen Pop. I call it my prison. It's my prison talk. So I'm now released. Um, I'm feeling a lot better. I've been testing negative for six days in a row now. Mm. And so I treated myself last night to Brandy Carlisle at the Greek oh. Theater in Los Angeles. And I could not think of a better way to break my quarantine she is phenomenal, and I know there's a lot of Brandy Carlisle fans that listen to this podcast, and if you've not seen her live, just give yourself that gift. She is healing in so many ways. So that's my good news and my final thought for today. Get her to the Greek. Yes. I love it. 
Thank you. Thank you for that. Everybody, we'll be back tomorrow. Oh, and I, I just want to let everybody know I appreciate the day off. I took the day off yesterday from the book club and from Muller She Wrote. I did that uh, because I needed to. So Self-care. Thanks to, Self-care. Thanks to everybody who gave me that time. It means a lot to me that you guys sort of allow me those days. I mean, I don't take many, many days off and I needed that one. So thank you. All right. We'll be back tomorrow. Until then, please take care of yourselves. Take care of each other. Take care of the planet. Take care of your mental health. And vote blue over Q. I've been AG. And I've been DG. And them's the beans. The Daily Beans is written and executive produced by Allison Gill with additional research and reporting by Dana Goldberg and Amy Carrero. Sound design and editing is by Desiree McFarlane with art and web design by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. Music for The Daily Beans is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. And the show is a proud member of the MSW Media Network, a collection of creator-owned podcasts dedicated to news, politics, and justice. For more information, please visit mswmedia.com. MSW Media. <laughs>